Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. Let us now hear the inspired word of the living God. And Jesus said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. And he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed wine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee. and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. And this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we do give thee thanks for thy word, and we would ask this morning that as it is preached, that you would give your servant wisdom, that you would give him utterance, that you would pour out your spirit as I preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Lord, I ask that you would open the ears and the hearts of those who are sitting here, that they might receive thy word, that they might digest it, that they might understand its truth, and that you would apply it to each and every heart. May the words of my mouth the meditation of our hearts, be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as we come to this familiar parable, that is perhaps one of the most well-known parables, and sadly one of the least understood parables. It is true that familiarity breeds contempt. 
And those things that are so familiar to us, we just scratch the surface. We just overlook many important things. But this particular parable has been noted throughout history as one of the most noted parables, perhaps one of the most wonderful and glorious parables. And as we consider this parable this morning, it has been called the parable of the prodigal son. But I would say that it is, as many say, state, it is the story of two sons. It is a parable of a lost son. That term, the parable of the prodigal, is not indicated in the passage. But it is certainly a parable of a lost son. It is a parable of two sons. And today we'll consider the first son, the younger son. And next week we will consider the older son. But as we come to this passage of scripture, we find in the context... The Lord Jesus Christ is coming up against the opposition of the religious leaders. He continues to find himself in strong disagreement with them. And we find that true religion will always divide. That true religion will always bring opposition even within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as the Lord Jesus is continuing in his ministry as we See him there eating with the scribes and Pharisees on the Sabbath at that meal. We see in the context of the meal that these sinners, these people who are following him, desire to go after him. And as we saw last week, it is the publicans, it's the sinners that draw near to hear him. They knew he had something important to say. And so they've heard the parable of the shepherd. They've heard the parable of the lost coin. Now they hear the parable of the two sons. Now this was stated to the Pharisees and scribes for their benefit. But also it was spoken To that crowd of publicans and sinners. So that the Lord Jesus Christ. Might draw sinners unto himself. Now I've entitled the sermon this morning. The heart of the father revealed. I think there's something that we often miss. In this parable. Something that we overlook. We're thinking about the older son. We're thinking about the younger son. We're focused on a particular word. And we always miss the heart of the Father revealed to those whom He loves. And this passage is not a passage of the rebellion of the Son. Certainly it's here. But in that rebellion of the Son, even in the return of the Son, we see the heart of the Father. We see the love of the Father towards sinners. We oftentimes say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. But the question is, is it really sweet? Is it a sweet sound in our ears? For as we consider this passage this morning, it is good news. It is sweet sound in our ears. But it is not a sweet sound 
for those who turn away from the Lord and do not cry out for mercy. So here as we consider this passage this morning, you have the outline there if you're following the outline. But we see first of all the rebellion of the Son, verses 12 through 16. We see the repentance of the Son in verses 17 through 19. We see the return of the Son in verses 20 through 21. And then we see the reception of the Son there in verses 22 through 24. As Jesus is speaking to the crowd, he tells them a story of a man who had two sons. And in the first part of this parable, he tells a story of the first son, of the younger son, of the firstborn, or of the younger son, not the firstborn, but the younger son, who turns away from the father, who turns in open rebellion. To him. Notice there in verse 12, the younger son goes to his father and says, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. Now, in the context of that culture, you did not get your inheritance until the father died. And most of the inheritance went to the older son. The younger son got a portion, but he didn't get as much as the older son. And so it's unusual for the son to go to the father and say, Give me my inheritance. What arrogance for a child to go to his father and say, Give me my inheritance. What if he has no inheritance? You'd look pretty foolish, wouldn't you? But he knew his father had this portion of goods, and that inheritance that fell to him was not just monetary means it was not just money but it was cattle it was livestock it was those things that were seen as important in the context of an agrarian society give me the portion of goods give me what is mine and here we see in verse 12 the arrogance We see the pride of this son. And we see the beginning roots of sin. There's a lot of instruction in this passage. That's why I divided it. Because there's so much here. But we need to see that the beginnings of sin start with a proud and arrogant heart. Give me what's mine. That's the culture we live in. It's mine. Children learn that at a very young age, don't they? Give me. Mine. Mine. They don't learn how to share very well. And yet here in the proud, arrogant heart of this younger son, he says those words, Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And so we see there the arrogance of the son we see the alienation already building up in his heart that alienation from God I've stated this before but as you think about that great rebellion that took place in heaven before the fall of Adam 
when Lucifer led a rebellion against God and took third of the angels out of heaven and they were cast down because of their rebellion. But Satan, Lucifer, led a rebellion. And it started with arrogance, started with pride. Adam led a rebellion in the garden that started with pride and arrogance. God said, don't eat. But oh, God is withholding good from us. And so there's the arrogant and proud heart. We see here in the rebellion of the son, the stages of sin that we need to be so careful about even in our own lives. The stage of sin began with this proud heart, but it sought to be independent from God. We see that in our culture around us. We see that even within the church. We want to be independent. And so guess what? We have independent churches. They want to be independent. We want to be independent. We have a culture that wants to be independent. We want to be independent from rule. We want to be independent from God. We want to be independent from His law. And so there's that desire to be independent. And you see that here in the Son. Father, give me the portion of my goods. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey. And so he leaves home. He takes all of his cattle and everything that was to fall to him. And he goes He begins to be independent. Now let me say there's nothing wrong with your son or daughter wanting to establish their own way. But independence is that mindset that we want to be independent of God. That we want to be independent of rule and law. So even a rebellious child who wants to be independent from parents must be careful. And he does not use that. As a way to walk away from those things that will protect him. And we see that the son sought independence from God. He fought against that that law. He fought against the protection that God would give. But we see a second stage of sin that is pictured here. Not only this independence, but we see this life of rebellion that is characterized by self-indulgence. You see that here. He took, he gathered all of his possessions, took his journey into a far country, and does what every sinner does. Wastes his substance with riotous living. Many commentators make all kinds of assumptions about who um, the younger son represents. But here the younger son represents every sinner. Every sinner who leads a life of rebellion, who leads a life of self-indulgence. Some people think, I desire to be happy. I desire to be fulfilled. 
And we have to be careful of this, this rebellious streak, even in our own nation, that desire to be self-esteemed, to be indulged, to, to get what I think is coming to me. We see that in the life of this rebellious child. He took his journey into a far country. That, that term far country as it's used here in the parable indicates that place that is far away from God. You know, God is the father of all who come to him in faith. But there's a sense in which God is the bestower, the creator, the one who provides all good gifts for all of his creatures. Man is created in the image of God to rule over all that God has given to him. But when he desires to turn away from God, he goes as far away from God as he can. But the psalmist there in Psalm 139 reminds us that question. Where can I go from your presence? Where can I go from your spirit? If I go to the lowest parts of the earth, you are there. If I go to the highest mountain, you are there. And so there's no place any man or woman can go to escape the presence of God. But he took his journey And it was a miserable journey. It was a horrible journey into a far country. I've often said, and people sometimes look at me in bewilderment, when someone walks that journey into the far country, I always tell them, I always say, you go and have a great time. Because you will find that that journey will be a miserable journey. That the fool has said there is no God and so he goes to that far journey and sometimes he needs to go. Sometimes he needs to walk in that journey away from God. There's a strange um, account of how the Amish deal with their younger people. I never understood this. But they will not baptize their children or their, their uh, young people Until they've gone out from the community for a season. And lived a life of rebellion. And then see if they want to come back and live within the community. And then they baptize them. And that is a strange way of looking at it. But this man, like all of us, has the heart of a rebel. Goes and lives that that life of rebellion. But we see the stages of sin. We see, first of all, he seeks independence. He seeks that life of rebellion. And then he spends all of his resources in riotous living. He goes far away from God on a long and miserable journey. He spends all of his resources. He spends his character. He spends his strength. He spends his hope. He gives it all up. For the pleasures of sin, which the scripture says lasts only for a season. He spent everything. He wasted his substance. 
how often do we find in our own lives that we've not only wasted our substance, but we've wasted our years? Look at my own life and I'm thinking, what happened to the last number of years? Where did the last 10 years go? Where did the last 20 years go? And we sometimes find ourselves that we, like this son, have wasted the years. We've wasted our resources. We've wasted our substance. But you know what? When we find that we want to live independent of God, we want to live in rebellion, we want to spend all of our resources and energy, we find that it leads to despair and greater sin. Notice in verse 14, when he spent all there, when he had spent all, I mean everything that the father gave him, he went through it. And there arose a mighty famine in that land. And he began to be in want. Now obviously all things are under the sovereign control of God. Even the sinfulness of man. He couldn't control the famine. He didn't know a famine would come. But he could control his life of alienation and rebellion. But the scripture says there came a mighty famine and he began to be in want. He went to this far country. He went to that unstable place. He went to that cruel place. And out of desperation, what does he do? He starts to feed pigs or swine. Now this is important because Jews did not Feed swine. Swine were the the height of uncleanness. And according to the law, they could not touch the unclean thing. So what does he do? Great picture of his alienation. Rebellion from God. He goes and feeds pigs. He brings himself to the lowest thing he could ever do. He comes to a place of despair. And he's degraded to the point of feeding pigs. Now there's nothing wrong with feeding pigs. There's nothing wrong with feeding cattle. That's a lawful command. That's a lawful lawful thing to do. But here in, the, in the, the story, in the parable, he brings himself to that place because he had wasted everything. There's no more resources left. Dad doesn't have any more to give me. And as he went and fed the swine, the text tells us that he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. Here is the the utter depravity of sin that he would stoop to eating the husks that the swine ate. He was humiliated. He was brought to a very low place. But notice there in verse 16. That as he filled his belly with the husks. And that couldn't be very appetizing. It couldn't be very fulfilling. The text tells us that no man gave unto him. You know what I notice in this parable that I've never noticed before? 
the providence of God in every little detail. That God brought him to the place where no man gave to him. God brought him to the place where he had to, had to feed swine. That God brought him to the place where he had to go far away from God to find redemption. And you may have children, you may have grandchildren, you may have loved ones and family members that have gone far away from God. And yet God will use the most humiliating, degrading thing to draw them unto Him if He so wills. And you have to pray that God would bring them to that place where they see the utter despair of their sin. Yes, that far country is a very unstable place. Children, the world is a very cruel place. It's a very lonely and isolated place. And yet in that far country, you know what he finds? He finds loneliness. He finds isolation. He f- does not find what he's longing for. And so he is in that place of, of great rebellion. And then we find in verse 17 and 19, our second point, we see the repentance. I love the first part of verse 17. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? Oh, how often God will use hunger. How often God will use isolation and despair to draw us unto Him. Oh, don't discount the providence of God even in the life of a sinner. God will use those things to draw Him to Himself. Here we see the beginning stages of repentance. He came to himself. Man by nature is insane. Man by nature is mad. Man by nature is out of his mind. Sin is very irrational. And as he is in that far country, he comes to himself. Oh, the great love of God to sinners. That the Lord in his mercy would bring him to himself. Until a man comes to himself. He will not repent and turn unto God. As he comes to that place where he realizes that he came to himself. We don't know how long he was gone. We don't know all the particulars. Luke just records enough for us to catch a glimpse of the utter depravity and sinfulness that is in the heart of every man and every woman. And here he comes to himself and begins to come to right thinking. Here we see the beginnings of repentance begins with a change of mind. It begins with a change of heart. It begins with coming to the place 
where he finds no satisfaction in the things of the world. And sometimes God has to bring a sinner to the place where everything is stripped away, where everything becomes isolation and loneliness and despair, where his life is absolutely a wreck before he can come to himself. Now those, those that phrase came to himself is, as I've said, that beginning of repentance. It is that realization that we have sinned. That we are alienated from God. That we have turned away from his ways. This man in the parable finds that the life of sin is hard. That the life of sin is a bitter experience. As this son had spent all of his wealth. And all of his property. And wanted to do what he wanted to do. We find that sin was a hard master. Sin had control over his life. But here he comes to that place. Where he's awakened to a sense of his own natural state. Perhaps you this morning are under the power of sin. Perhaps you've not come to that place. As this younger brother did in verse 17. But there must be a sense of an awakening. Of a heart that arises and turns away from sin. Here we have a beautiful picture that shows us what repentance begins to look like. We are conditioned to think that repentance is a one-time confession. Oh, I sinned. Then we go on our merry way. But repentance is a daily thing. Repentance is a turning away from sin. Turning away from all sin. And turning unto God. But it begins with that realization. I'm not in a good place. And you may not be as far gone. As this child was. This uh, young boy was. But you know sin. Is like that. It brings us to that place. Where it brought this son. But he resolved to repent. He resolved to turn away. From his sin. And it began with that coming to his own senses. Unless one comes to their senses. And unless one comes to the realization. that What am I doing? Why am I in this place? They will not come unto the Lord God. But notice that it is the work of the spirit. That draws men unto Christ. But here he finds that he's in a state of hunger. That he's in a state of plenty and he had everything. But notice not only the repentance begins with that coming to himself. But it is that confession that it is that desire that we see in verse 18. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. Repentance involves 
not only a coming to our senses, but it involves a realization that we have broken God's commandments, that we have turned away from Him, that we have honored Him. (coughs) It is a stripping away of our own pride. It is a stripping away of our own self-indulgence. It's a stripping away of our independence. And it's saying, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before Thee. But notice, sometimes repentance can be a false repentance. It can be that haughty repentance. Think of the TV evangelist many years ago that fell into great sin. And he stands on public television and and says those very words, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against thee. And guess what? He went back to his life of sin. But here in the story, not only does he turn from his sin... But he realizes he's not worthy to be called a son. But to be treated as a hired servant. And we see all the pictures of repentance. This coming to himself. Of this admitting that he's wrong. That he will go to his father. That he will confess his sin. Just as we saw there in Hosea chapter 14. And then he will realize that he is no longer worthy. To be called a son. But here's the beautiful thing that we see in verse 20. Not only did he come to his senses. Not only did he repent. Not only did he humble himself. But we see that wonderful return to the father. Verse 20. And he arose. And he came to his father. And says, Father, I've sinned against heaven. And in thy sight I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. And so we see that he returns unto the Lord his God. Repentance always involves a return. It's not just an acknowledgement of sin. It's not just some haughty confession it's not just empty words of confession but it is that returning it is that confessing it is acknowledging that I have turned away now I need to return again oh the beautiful love of the father that the father waited patiently for him and so he returns to the father he comes to his senses He turns to God with true repentance and faith. J.C. Ryle says that the Lord shows us the younger son quitting the far country where he was, going back to his father's house, carrying into practice the good intentions that he had formed, and unreservedly confessing his sins. And he arose and went. Oh, here we have true repentance. Here we have true conversion that is only begun in the work of a sinner by the Holy Spirit. Unless the Holy Spirit brings us to that place where we come to our senses, we will not come. Oh, we can reform our lives. We can say, you know, I'm tired of this. I'm going to go see a doctor. I'm going to get my head 
head straightened and I'm going to make some changes. That's not going to change the heart. For the scripture says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. No one can know it. But in his resolve and his return to the Father. It is the Father who will break away the sin. He will come out from the fellowship of that far country. He will come out from wandering in that far country. To home. To the place where there's protection. Where there's safety. Where there's the love of a father. For the sinner. Oh friends. Don't ever turn from the Lord. Like this son. Without returning to him. Oh We need to plead for God's mercy upon our children, upon our grandchildren. We need to pray that the Lord would cause them to come to themselves and return unto the Lord where there is indeed great mercy. But fourthly and finally, this is the beauty of the story. You know, every story has a happy ending. Well, most stories have a happy ending. Well, this parable, this story has a happy ending because in verses 22 through 24, we see that he comes to the Father. But notice the reception that the Father gives. We see a glimpse of it in verse 20 as the Son begins to return. When he was a great way off, that indicates... He was far away. I mean, you would have to have x-ray vision to see him coming. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. He had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Oh, the beautiful reception that was waiting this son. The father welcomed him. The Father forgave him, and the Father honored him. I love those words, and Charles Spurgeon preached a sermon on that very phrase, and God ran. That picture of a father running to his child, of a father running and falling on his neck and kissing him. And in that culture, it was not uncommon for men to embrace other men. There was nothing wrong with that. That was, that was how they, they showed compassion. But in the kissing of the son, we see the father showing great affection and love for this son who had turned away in rebellion. I draw your attention to some beautiful words that are familiar in 2 Samuel chapter 14. 2 Samuel chapter 14. Here's a story of Joab. The schemes for the return of Absalom. Absalom pressures him. And Absalom comes before the king. Verse 32, and Absalom answered Joab, 2 Samuel 14. Behold, I sent unto thee, saying, Come hither, that I may send thee to the king, to say, Wherefore am I come 
from Gesher. It had been good for me to have been there still. Now therefore let me see the king's face. And if there be any iniquity in me, let him kill me. So Joab came to the king and told him. And when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king. He bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. And the king kissed Absalom. Here's a beautiful type in the Old Testament of how God kisses those who repent of kisses those who turn to him who shows much affection to him and so here in in the end of verse 20 we see the desire of the father the father saw him and had compassion ran to him we see the compassion of the father in running to his son we see the affection of the father in falling on his neck and kissing him. And this is the beautiful love of the father. Here we see the heart of the father revealed to the sinner. Here we see the heart of the father revealed to us that he does not turn away from sinners. Oh, the salvation of God that turns rebels into sons, that turns sinners into saints. And as the Father received him, we see there the end of the story. It doesn't end there. Father said to his servants, Quick, bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring him hither, bring hither a fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat. And be merry. There's three common themes in all of these three parables. And of course it's one parable really. But we see this thought of rejoicing and making merry at someone who is found. Of someone who comes unto the Lord. And so here the father calls his servants to bring a robe to his son. The robe was kept for special guests. You didn't wear the robe as an everyday garment. It was kept for special occasions. It was kept for this guest. He says, quick, bring forth the best robe. Not just any robe, but the best robe. And then he says, put a ring on his hand. The ring indicated a sign of authority. Here is where the father bestows honor on the son by giving him a robe of a king, by giving him a ring of a king indicating authority. And then he says, put sandals or shoes on his feet. In that culture, slaves did not wear shoes. They went barefooted. Poor people did not wear shoes. They went barefooted. But here this man who was a slave to sin now becomes a servant, now becomes a a son and is now given shoes as a man who is free, set free to walk and run and serve the one to whom he turned away.
Then he says, quick, kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a banquet. Again, here in Luke's gospel, we see this picture of a meal, of a banquet. But that banquet was mostly for the purpose of reconciling himself not only to the father, but to the village. It was a public banquet. It wasn't a private banquet. And so he was reconciled to the villagers. He who was in that far country now comes home. So there's a reconciliation among all the villagers. My son was dead. Not mostly dead. He was dead. He is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. He was dead. He had no life in him. He was cut off from God. He was cut off from the community. He was alienated from people. And yet God came and showed great mercy. As we think about this wonderful story of the prodigal. We find that the Lord grants repentance. That the Lord grants mercy to sinners. And the question to consider this morning for all of us here is your heart alienated from God? Are you in rebellion to Him? Is it not time to come to your senses and to remember the goodness and the mercy of God. Oftentimes we like the younger son. Have turned our back on God. Have taken the gifts. Taken the talents and used them for our own pleasure and glory. But as our children know well. That sin, the fall of man brings great misery. There is nothing but misery, a life of domination to sin, a life of alienation. And yet the sinner is brought home and finds goodness and mercy in the Lord. Perhaps you are not living that life in the far country. Perhaps you are one who has found favor with the Father. But the question this morning, more importantly, is, do we really, really understand the heart of the Father toward the sinner? Do we really understand how much affection, how much love that He has for His children? I don't think we do. Because if we understood that, it would change our whole relationship to each other it would change our whole uh, manner of doing evangelism we don't follow the Arminian model of evangelism well we just got to get everybody saved we got we to gotta proclaim the gospel we got to show mercy and compassion to sinners we've experienced a little of that with our deacons on a couple of occasions it's always been heartwarming to me to see how we reach out to people like that and yet we must understand that the heart of the Father is one of love and mercy.
towards sinners. And let us never, ever forget the great kindness and the compassion of our God toward us. We, who are worthless, wretched sinners, can find ready forgiveness and pardon from the Lord. Friends, let us have the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us have this affection of the Father for sinners engraved in our minds and our hearts. And let us never forget, as the Pharisees and scribes noted, that this one receives sinners. And that there is life in him. And so today I would urge you, I would, I would plead with you that if you do not know Christ, if you are in that far country, far away from God, I would plead with you to cry unto the Lord, to seek His mercy, to find that He indeed is a lover of sinners. May we pray. Lord, our God, we do give thee thanks this morning for the great love that you have for sinners. We thank you that you've revealed your heart unto us. That it is not a heart of alienation or a heart of estrangement. It is not a heart of one who has conditions placed upon us in the way that man does, but it is the heart of a father toward a sinner toward one who is alienated. And Lord, we pray that you would impress upon our minds and our hearts the great love and the affection that you have for us. Oh, may we go forth with joy, thanksgiving, and gratitude that you do receive sinners. And may we be willing to show mercy even unto those who are far away from thee. O Lord, bless this word to our hearts. We pray that you would stir our minds and our affections to love thee more. For we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Conclude with an appropriate psalm in response. Psalm 40c. O Lord my God, how many are.